Hello and welcome to episode. Oh fuck, is it twenty? I think it's episode twenty-five or twenty-six. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It's going to say on the name anyway. But regardless, probably should have checked that beforehand. But uh, I have a guest on today, as you can probably tell if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, but Jonah Campbell, he's one of my good friends from college. Uh, he was two years older than me, but super excited because uh, we have a lot of similar uh, takes on things, I think. And so just going to discuss that uh, and yeah, see where it goes. Going to keep it relatively casual. I have a couple notes written down for topics we can discuss, but uh, yeah, very excited. So Jonah, I don't know if you want to take a second and do a little introduction or something, or just say some, some words about yourself, but go for yeah, it. It's good. Um, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. No, I've obviously been watching a lot of your content on TikTok and on YouTube and everything. And I think what you're doing is, is really great. Cause in a way you're, you're able to bring concepts like mindfulness and little bits and pieces of Buddhism and things like that to a mass audience that may not have been exposed to it previously. Um, so I, I'm really into that. I think that's super cool. Um, yeah, I'm just happy to be here. I can, you know, I've got a few things that definitely we can talk about and, you know, just see where it goes from there. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Yeah. I try to keep things, uh, like at least for my content, it's all just things that help me get through the stuff I talk about, you know, fear, worry, anxiety. I, I dealt with it, especially social anxiety for a long time. And it was probably at its peak in high school. I talked about this a lot, but like definitely trickled into college as well. Um, but I think it was maybe not necessarily super noticeable, but I think even you mentioning how you want to come on here and talk about your experiences with anxiety and OCD, like it was never that was never obvious to me that you dealt with things like that. So I think a lot of people sort of suffer in silence. And I think just being open about, like, I think a huge part of mental health is just people being open about what they're going through and what they're experiencing and not keeping it in the closet their entire life and, and feeling like, yeah, like they're the only one going through it. So expressing these things, I think in itself is helpful. It's so true. I think, uh, I think, everybody is dealing with something. I think that's, yeah. uh, you know, that's just the human condition is that everyone has something going on, whether or not it's anxiety or depression or whatever it is, things that you can't see. Um, so it's a good reminder to practice compassion just every single day, right? Because any random person that you pass on the street could be dealing with, you know, their own battle, their own war that's going on inside and you just would have no idea. Um, and yeah, you know, my, my experience, uh, was, uh, you know, when I was in college, I didn't really talk about it. I didn't, there wasn't uh, a whole lot of external stuff that you would have seen. Uh, and part of that is because, so maybe I'll backtrack a little bit. I'll sort of tell you, you know, from the beginning where my experience started and how I am sort of where I am today. Um, but so when I was like, nine, 10 years old, um, I started to experience some OCD symptoms. Um, and when I was that age, they were very uh, physical symptoms. So I would be experiencing things like, you know, you have to touch a certain thing or somebody in your family is going to die, right? I had this like this magical thinking, what they call it, 
that if I didn't do a certain thing, then something horrible would happen. And uh, it got to the point where I was having trouble leaving the house. I, you know, I, I couldn't go to school. I didn't want to hang out with friends because I was really experiencing all of these, these sort of compulsions uh, constantly throughout the day. Uh, and I ended up going to uh, an experimental cognitive behavioral therapy program at UCLA when I was that age. Um, my mom found a, a study that was happening and it was sort of kind of at the beginning of this cognitive behavioral therapy wave um, where they were sort of testing it, comparing it to drugs, um, the efficacy of using drugs to, to treat something like OCD. And so my mom put me in the study with the one exception that I wouldn't be in the drug group and I wouldn't be in the control group. It was like, he has to be in the cognitive behavioral therapy group. And so uh, I did that program and I had an amazing therapist, uh, basically spent like a year uh, doing this program where I first started off going like, it was really obvious, like three times a week or something like that. And then it, you know, kind of spaced out and I started stopped going you know, it was like once every two weeks and then once a month or, you know, whatever. And then basically by the end, it was sort of doing just check-ins. Um, and I had an incredible experience with it. It was, it was uh, truly reformative, transformative uh, in that I was essentially a hundred percent rehabilitated, which is, it was even surprising to them how well I sort of reacted to the, the therapy. Um, and you know, I kind of went on my, went on my jolly way after that. Like I felt completely in control of these physical external OCD symptoms. And for years I didn't, you know, seek any additional treatment. I was completely, you know, fine operating in the world, doing whatever. What, what, uh, what types of things were there some specific practices they use uh, I'm not super familiar with therapy. I've, I haven't gone before, but curious if there's like specific things that stuck out that were super helpful or just like a general trend. Absolutely. So something that uh, I think is going to be really interesting to you because it is a lot of what you talk about. And I think the type of therapy that you do um, when you're treating something like OCD with cognitive behavioral therapy I think is applicable to everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what type of anxiety you're dealing with. Um, the, the, the keystone, the cornerstone of the therapy is called exposure therapy. And what it is, is you are doing the exact thing that you are the most afraid of, if that makes sense. So it doesn't really matter what your compulsion is. Like, let's say you have a compulsion to touch something um, and you have this thought that if I don't touch it, then something horrible is going to happen. The basis of the therapy is go touch that thing and then see what happens. And so over the course of doing this many, many, many times, your brain starts to learn that, oh, maybe something horrible isn't going to happen when I do this thing. Um, and it's not just even to the point where, okay, when the compulsion comes up, you go, you, you, you do the opposite, you actually seek it out. So even when you're feeling fine and dandy, when you're feeling totally chill, everything's good, you actually do the thing that would give you anxiety, you know, in general, 
Um, and it, it helps kind of solidify in your brain that doing that thing or whatever it is, is, uh, is okay. And there isn't, you know, the tiger isn't going to eat you. <laughs> you actually, you walk towards the tiger and you sit down and you, and you hang out with it. And all of a sudden it's less scary. So that is the, that's the cornerstone sort of of this cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think it applies really well to what you talk about all the time, which is sitting with the anxiety, allowing yourself to feel the fear, feel the uncomfortableness of being anxious, not labeling it, not, you know, trying to get rid of it. Um, and it's just taking it a little bit of a step further in that not only are you just sitting with it, but you're actually moving towards it. You're doing the exact thing that you are terrified of. And so that's why I have a lot of compassion for people that are doing this practice or this therapy on a day-to-day -day basis, because every single day, multiple times a day, they are doing the thing that scares them the absolute most in the world. Um, so, you know, it's something that if you know somebody that is going through exposure therapy or cog cognitive behavioral therapy in that way, um, just let, let them know that they're doing a great job because it is, it's, it really is truly, you know, one of the hardest things that you'll have to do because your brain is telling you that you are afraid or anxious of this thing in a way that's, it's, you know, it feels uncontrollable. It feels like it's this, this large monster that is, you know, it, you, there's no way for you to approach it. Um, and you have to just walk towards it. So that's yeah. the, that's the main part of the therapy. Yeah. I, I started posting some stuff that were in the realm of exposure therapy without even knowing what it was just like putting yourself out there doing things that, and I made a video recently about social anxiety. And, and I think the best tip that I've ever learned for about social anxiety is, is to feel the social anxiety, like do things that make you feel socially anxious until you get to a point that you don't like, you're not going to overcome it through reading about it or watching videos as much as I appreciate people for watching my videos and whatnot, like act, there's nothing that will ever replace action. And I think that at the end of the day is the best. And it goes for almost anything too, outside of even anxiety, even if you're just, you know, trying to get into content, like making content is what's going to make you better at making content. It's not from reading about it or, you know, watching videos or, you know, there's a saying like reading about pushups isn't going to make you any stronger. Like it's, it's the same thing. And action I think is so applicable in so many different situations. And that's awesome to hear that exposure therapy was, was a big part of that. Cause I think it, it can be incredibly yeah. helpful. I think we, we both at the same time give the brain a lot of credit and not enough credit. Like I think listening and reading and doing all these things is incredibly beneficial and you can absorb so much and you can, you know, sort of change your mindset just through that type of action. But the other thing is that your brain is constantly learning based on the actions that you're taking, based on what you're doing with the types of situations you're putting yourself in. And so even though, like, for example, social anxiety, like you're saying, you put yourself in those situations where you feel the anxiety, if you allow yourself to feel the anxiety, not label it, not be like, oh, this is bad, you know, just I am feeling anxious, but I'm going to be in this position. And you continuously put yourself in that position, your brain learns over time, 
you know, things to be, I mean, that's how we've survived as humans forever is that your brain learns what to be afraid of and what not to be afraid of because it helps you survive. And like in that situation, your brain will learn over time that, oh, actually this isn't the scariest thing in the world. This isn't, you know, and so the anxiety starts to lessen. Um, so I think that's a really good point. It's just, it's, it's doing it physically and seeing that you're not expecting a change immediately, not expecting it, you know, and, and the truth is, is that with anxiety, a lot of times it gets worse before it gets better. Like when you start to approach the anxiety, you know, head on, when you start to take it on like that, it's, it gets worse for a period and that's to be expected. You might feel horrible, but on the other side of that is, a, you know, a whole new world of, of uh, less anxiety. Um, yeah. Yeah, which is, I think that's, you know, kind of the, you know, the main key of all of that. Um, and for me, like I, so like I said, I, I didn't, you know, go to any other therapy or anything like that after I had this treatment when I was younger and sort of went on my, you know, went on my way. Uh, but then during the pandemic, um, I had a lot of alone time, a lot of time to think, a lot of time to sort of like be with myself. And I realized that a lot of the anxiety and the things that I was dealing with and, and do deal with on a daily basis um, stem from OCD, which I didn't realize until I had some time to think about it, kind of like connect the dots in a way. Um, because, you know, OCD as a family of anxieties isn't just you know, what people assume it is where it's like, oh, like I need to stay clean and, and that's it. Like body dysmorphia, health anxiety, um, you know, they're like even Tourette syndrome is, is a part of the family of OCD disorders. So there are all of these different things that you may be experiencing that are, you know, they're OCD related, but you wouldn't call them OCD. And for me, I, you know, I was and do deal with you know, sort of the mental side of OCD, like I have health anxiety and body dysmorphia that come out of that, you know, that same family. Um, and that's something that I learned actually during the pandemic because I went back to therapy. I, you know, found another, a, a local therapist that was in Southern California um, and went back, did, a, did another round of cognitive behavioral therapy but focused on the, the mental sort of compulsions that I do that I didn't realize that I was doing. Um, and that's something that I learned is that with OCD and, you know, people that have an anxious brain clinically, uh, it's not just your day-to-day -day anxiety that you're dealing with, but the anxiety actually learns over time. So no matter what, you'll always have anxiety. It just shape shifts over time to, to kind of, you know, keep you afraid of something, if that makes sense. Um, and so it's a matter of just staying on top of it, staying aware that that is sort of the way that your brain works and addressing it. And so whether or not the compulsions are physical and it's very obvious to the world that you're touching or cleaning or doing little things or they're mental and you're doing things like symptom checking, like if you have health anxiety, a lot of the times what you're doing is you're like, I have cancer, uh, you know, I have throat cancer and oh my God, my throat hurts. And so I'm constantly checking to see if my throat hurts like over and over and over again. Or if you have body dysmorphia and, you know, you have a fixation with or obsession with um, like, let's say you don't like your nose and you're looking in the mirror like 
you know, three hours, six hours of the day are spent just staring in the mirror, telling yourself that, you know, your nose doesn't look right or whatever, whatever it is. Um, and that's also a compulsion. It's not just cleaning. It's not just, you know, whatever it is. It's this compulsion to try to fix it in your brain to try to make yourself feel better. And that is the exact thing that keeps you in the anxiety. You know, the, the way out of it, like we've just talked about with the exposure therapy is to like, let's say it is uh, your obsession with your nose and you're looking in the mirror and you're like, I, you know, my nose is super ugly. Um, this is just an example, but uh, then you would be like, you would look at yourself in the mirror and you would say, yeah, my nose is really fucking ugly. And then you sit with it and you do that a bunch of times. And even when you're feeling okay, you go find the mirror and you stare in the mirror and you go, my nose is really fucking ugly. Okay. Where do we go from here? Which is something I know I've seen you talk about the, the, so what of it all. It's like, okay, so I'm, you know, I think that I'm overweight or I think that my hair looks dumb or I think that, you know, I, I think that I have this horrible disease. It's like, okay, so what? Then where do we go from here? Yeah, I do. I, that, that's exactly right. I have that thing. Now what? Which I, you know, I always, I, I see that you talk about that and I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, th I think people get lost in that sort of, thinking. And I think there's, there's multiple factors in this, like even just the overcommitment to your thoughts is truth, I think is a huge part of it. And taking, you know, that voice in your head and all those thoughts. So seriously thinking of them as, you know, this is the truth instead of questioning every single thought and realizing that you don't have to take every thought so seriously, but that may come later. But I think, I think realizing too, that, uh, you're, <sighs> With anxiety, something I used to think is that, you know, say, for example, something I used to get really, really nervous about was like public speaking and presentations and stuff. And I had this idea in my head that there was going to be a point that I just wasn't nervous at all. Like it just completely went away. And I think this factors into what you were talking about as well. And once I started to realize that I wasn't going to 100% get rid of those feelings and I was still going to feel nervous or anxious leading up to any sort of event like that. But instead of labeling it as a bad thing, instead of labeling those nerves as, as bad or that anxiety is bad and something I have to get rid of before I can do a good job, I can realize like I can feel those things and do it anyway and still do a good job despite being really nervous or like my heart pounding, like very quickly leading up to it, realizing that I'm not going to get rid of it hundred percent of the time. And like fully, I became more okay with feeling it. And I was just like, instead of trying to get rid of it and then deciding to do it, I'm going to feel those things and do it anyway. And just separate my decision-making from how I'm feeling and not allow my feelings to dictate it. And I think that in itself is applicable to a lot of the things that you just mentioned as well. And it's kind of a overarching theme of not taking all of that so seriously, or just being like, yeah, looking at your nose in the mirror for six hours, instead of doing that, just being like, yeah, it's fucking ugly. And like, uh, and I'm going to keep living my life. Like, why does that have to be the thing that's going to, you know, stop me from doing things? What I'm, if you're not going to do anything about it, then just keep moving forward. Like, you can't it and there's so many situations too with like 
past, the past and people get hung up on the past and, and regretting certain things. And just the saying, can't change it. Like reminding yourself, can't change it and oh, yeah. keep so, moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think just like anxiety sort of asks you to live in the future, there is also the exact opposite, right? You're talking about living in the past. It's, it's very similar, you know, whatever it is, if the thing is that you were like, oh, I, I uh, shouldn't have said this in this meeting or whatever it is, and now you're beating yourself up over it, that, that cycle, there, there isn't an end to it, right? You just are constantly like, oh, I, I shouldn't have said that. And oh, now I feel this so horrible and I feel horrible because I said this, whatever. And right, doing the exact same thing, being like, okay, I said it and let's move on. So what, now, now what happens, right? It's the exact same kind of thought process of it, just like you're, what you're talking about with having social anxiety when you're public speaking, it's the understanding that you are going to feel anxiety. The anxiety is part of the human condition. I think there is this false narrative that somehow you can find a way to live without anxiety. And even, you know, Buddhist monks will talk about it. It's not like they go somewhere and sit on a mountaintop and they get rid of all of their anxieties, their fears, their thoughts. That's not what the practice is. The practice is to sit with those things and observe them and watch them come and go and not ascribe a negative or a positive feeling to any of it, but just understanding that that is how the human brain works and that's how life is going to be. And you're going to feel anxiety, you know, when you do certain things. And, you know, I think one thing that I do want to hit on is that there is a difference between your general sort of anxiety that you feel as a, you know, a, a regular human throughout the day and having an anxiety disorder. Cause I don't want to downplay that. I don't, you know, if any of your listeners are dealing with something that's a bit more serious, you know, things that you'll notice, like, it's not just, oh, I'm anxious about my, my style and, you know, I don't want to go, I'm, you know, I change my shirt a couple of times before I go out, whatever. When it gets to the point where it's like, you've been staring in the mirror for six hours and you can't leave the mirror because you're so fixated. Like for me personally, you know, something that I fixate on is my teeth. I, I like will stare at them in the mirror. And I, that used to be a real like focus for me where I would just like, I would literally stare in the mirror for hours on end. And for some people, it's like, you know, their, their style, they can't pick the right shirt and they'll, they'll change their shirt for four hours and then they'll miss the party that they were going to. That's not just normal anxiety that a human feels during the day. That's probably an anxiety disorder and you should seek help for it. Have the help for it is amazing. Go talk to somebody, you know, just reach out. I mean, reach out to me. You know, if any of your listeners have these issues and want to talk about it, my door is open, but, you know, find somebody to talk to about it and talk to a professional. You know, the professionals are amazing at this. It's what they do. It's, you know, obviously they've studied this and they're, they're really good at what they do. So, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, we talk about that. It's a, you know, there is absolutely this normal level of anxiety that everybody feels, but when it gets to the point where, it's impacting your day-to-day -day life or you, you know, you're late to stuff, you're missing things because you're spending hours fixating and obsessing over these things, then, you know, it's time to, it's time to talk to somebody. Yeah, certainly. And that's, that's something that I don't 
quite frankly, I don't talk about as much because I haven't experienced it. So I appreciate you bringing that up because I find, I find there's a lot of people out there who talk about things that they haven't experienced and they have this idea of what something is and they're like, oh yeah, just these three tips or whatever. And it's like, I feel very uncomfortable. Like when I, and I'm honest with people too, like I'll have a woman who's middle-aged and went through a divorce and has three kids. And she's like, what do I do about this? And I'm like, hold on. I am a 26 year old single male. I can, although I've been through, you know, tough situations in different areas. Like there is a level of empathy you can have with people who maybe you haven't been through the exact same thing they have, but you have suffered in another way. There are certain situations where I'm like, I appreciate that you are asking me for help, but I, I'm not going to go out there and be like, oh yeah, you know, you just do this, this, this. It's like, who the fuck am I to, to say that when, when I haven't been close to that situation. So I think it is something that I don't talk about as much because I don't feel like I can, if I, if, if it's something I haven't experienced and that's what I stick to is like things that I have experienced, because I think there's a lot of people who venture outside of it and of things that they have experienced and they just like want to touch on everything. And there are obviously therapists and professionals who study it and understand things. So like, that's a whole different category, but there's a lot of people out there. And I think it, it gets away from the authenticity of things. And if, if it's something you haven't been through, like someone who's never experienced social anxiety, if they start a page talking about social anxiety, like how are they going to have any depth or empathy for people going through it? A lot of them will probably just be like, oh yeah, just, just stop worrying. And it's like, yeah, that's not how it works. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I think that's very, I think that's very wise of you to, um, to sort of follow that intuition because I do, right. I see a lot of people that like to talk about things that they haven't experienced and right, maybe, you know, the professionals aside, right, people that study this, that's, that's completely different. But just your average person that, you know, has done some research is, you know, talking to people, you can get a surface level understanding of, you know, what people deal with and what they feel and stuff. But yeah, you're never going to know on an intimate level, what it's like to be dealing with that. Like, you know, I'm not going to know when you're in the throes of social anxiety, what that feels like for you, because I don't experience that, right? And I don't expect you to understand what it feels like to have OCD, you know, like it's not, those are just very different kind of feelings, but it's still anxiety, right? It's still kind of a similar family of things. Um, So I think that's really wise of you to sort of, you know, know where your strengths are and know where your knowledge comes from. Um, It makes a lot of sense. And it's, you know, it's funny, like, I think, you see that on a much lower scale, sort of on a day-to-day life situation where people um, will like make jokes about certain things. Like this is something that I always kind of like, I, I find it's interesting, like an average person, like we use words like, oh, I'm so depressed, but you're not actually depressed. You're just kind of down. Like you're just a little, you're just a little bummed out or a little blue. Like you're not actually depressed. And it's the same when like somebody's like, oh, like I'm so OCD about that. Like, oh, I'm just so OCD. Like I have to have my like dishes clean. You know, I'm just really OCD about that. And no, you're not. Like you're, you feel a little bit uncomfortable because you want things a certain way. And of course it's a spectrum. Like everybody exists on a spectrum, right? Like 
there are people that experience little things that fall on the spectrum of OCD. And I'm not going to gatekeep. That's not what I'm here to do. That's, that's not my plan. But it is true that, you know, on a day-to-day basis, people will be like, oh, like, you know, I'm so, oh, like, yeah, like, I just feel so, you know, so much social anxiety. But they're not actually feeling, they're not, they don't have social anxiety. They're just like a little nervous about the speech they're going to give or whatever it is. And so they're not, they don't actually know how you feel and how, you know, what it's like to be actually afflicted by that type of anxiety. Um, So I think it's a really good reminder just for everybody. I keep coming back to it, but just to practice compassion, like on a day-to-day basis, when you're out there talking to people, like they might be dealing with things that you just can't see. And when you throw in a little comment like that, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm I'm just really OCD. Sorry about that. Like, you're not, I mean, if you are amazing, let's talk about it. Like, you know, if, if you are great, like that's, you know, that is for sure. Like, you know, especially if you want to talk about it like that openly, I love that. Like, you know, I think we need more of that just to, just to say whatever it is that you're afflicted by, whatever your bag of things is. Um, but so just to be, you know, compassionate about, you know, using words and, and describing whatever it is that you're feeling as a certain thing because you never know they might be dealing with that thing um so it's kind of a rant but but that's uh i think something that's also important to kind of keep in mind yeah no i I think that's certainly fair and there's definitely levels to it and i think when things you know words like that like ocd have gotten very normalized and i think people like I think it's less so, I, I don't know. And again, I haven't experienced it. So like situationally, when someone tosses out the word OCD, like, and, and they're describing themselves, even if they aren't technically diagnosed, they probably don't have ill will behind it. But overall, when it's become more of a normalized thing, then people who try to put themselves in someone else's shoes or like feel empathy for it, they don't actually realize like how extreme it can get for people who are actually diagnosed with like extreme anxiety disorder or OCD or something like that. And so there, there can be a lack of empathy because of that. Cause they're, they're like, Oh, well, I have 17 friends who have OCD and it's like, well, how many of them are actually diagnosed OCD? Like, are they staring at something right. in the mirror for six hours and missing things or do they just get, you know, a little bit uncomfortable. And there's also, again, like you mentioned, you're not trying to gatekeep here or anything, but, but there's, there's levels to it. And I think there's, when it becomes this sort of normalized word to just throw around willy nilly, it does downplay the severity and people's understanding when it comes to feeling that empathy of like, oh, this is actually a paralyzing thing that has an, that has a significant impact on their day-to-day life every single day, like multiple hours a day. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's why what you just said um, is so important when you said, you know, I'm, I only speak on the things that I have experienced because I feel like that's where the authenticity comes from. And that's where I have the knowledge. And I think just, just that in general, like, you know, you doing that sort of setting an example for people to see that I think, you know, is really beneficial because then it allows them to sort of address, you know, where it is that they have the knowledge and where it is that they don't. And for where we all lack so much knowledge about so many different things on a personal level, that's the place to 
to, to dive into the compassion, to the understanding, to the listening, right? Like when someone tells you what it feels like, don't try to explain to them why it's not like that because of something that you read in a book, right? Like listen to them and be like, okay, wow, like this is your personal experience. And, you know, you're explaining to me how it is that way and why you feel that way. And now I have a little bit more knowledge about this specific thing because I talked to you about it and taking that and applying it to the world, but just, just listening to people, like let them tell you what their experience is. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, there are like, obviously like not us, but there's so many people out there who like, don't think people's feelings aren't valid because of something like you said, something they've read or something they've, you know, learned about in a class. And it's like, if someone is feeling a certain way, like it's valid because they're feeling it. It's not like, there's not some, some sort of level they need to be at. It's like, if they have, whether it's low level, high level, high functioning, low functioning, it's like, if they're feeling that way, they're feeling that way. And, and that is the way it is. Like, who the fuck are you to tell them otherwise? <laughs> right. No, absolutely. There's no, I mean, that, you know, that's one of the, I think the worst things that, that humans do is that we just, we feel so entitled to talk about whatever it is. We feel so entitled to other people's emotions. We feel entitled to other people's, you know, thought process. Like it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you've got to have to unlearn uh, because of the way society is like, it tells you to sort of pretend like, you know, these other things and you kind of have to unlearn that. You just have to learn that, you know, you know, your experience, you know, what's happening in this, like, manifestation of Andrew Murnane and like I know what's happening in this sort of manifestation of Jonah Campbell but outside of that like I'm I'm observing right I can see stuff and I can hear it but like I'm not gonna know what it feels like on the inside for that person going through it so yeah absolutely yeah I found recently I've just been noticing more of people like judging and just having opinions on other people's lives. And I just find that to be so ridiculous now. Like I'll call it out. Like there's a, I won't, I'll try to be not super specific, but there was someone having a conversation. Yeah. Talking about someone else. And they're saying how, uh, shit, this, this might get too much of like friend of a friend of a friend. Um, so this person was talking about someone else's life and this other person's life they're living someone, another one of her friends didn't disagree with. And she was like, yeah, she doesn't really, you know, disagree, agree with what she's doing right now. And I just turned to her and I was like, good thing that doesn't fucking matter. And she was like, uh, uh-huh. and I was like, that's great. She was like, yeah, that's, that's true. And it was just so interesting that it was a conversation about someone else's opinion on someone else's life. And I was like, what the fuck does that like, what? I can't even wrap my head around that. And it, it's, but it's so common. It's like, you see it all the time when you start noticing it, it's like, that's insane. And and it comes back to, yeah, like people are the reason that I didn't post content for so long, even though I knew, I knew probably close to two years before I actually started posting content that I wanted to. And the reasons I didn't was because I was afraid of being judged. And it's like, just the idea that their judgment exists for someone living their life the way that they want to kind of blows my mind now. Like, it's so strange. Absolutely. No, it is mind blowing, but it makes sense because people formulate opinions and especially ones that are different from everyone else's to 
carve out their own existence, right? Like if I have an opinion about something, it means that I exist. It means I value, you know, I have value. It means I, you know, am, uh, am not just this insignificant speck on a spinning rock hurtling through space, right? Like yeah. it's the same reason why people come home from a long day of work and complain about things, right? Because if you have something to complain about, it means that you have value. It means that you, you know, something matters and you matter. Right. And so, you know, we so often don't find matter, you know, you know, us mattering in things outside of our opinions. Right. And our, our, you know, the stuff that we, that we can gripe about the stuff we can complain about. So, you know, it's just, you know, I would encourage whoever that was to maybe go find, you know, something that matters outside of their opinions of other people and try to address that. Because I think that's all work that we all need to do, right? Is that like, if you are, you know, you find that you have a lot of opinions about other people's stuff, I'm assuming, I'm just going to put this broad assumption out there that, that you ascribe a lot of your personal value to having opinions and, you know, that's maybe something that you should look at. I don't know. Yeah, certainly. It's like that value by comparison mindset that runs rampant in our society, like keeping up with the Joneses. It's all relative to what everyone else is doing. And what, uh, what, what there was some study, it was like a Harvard study, I think, where people were asked if they would rather, if they knew that everyone else, I'm probably going to butcher this because I don't, it was a while ago, but it was like, if they knew that everyone else is making a hundred thousand dollars, would they rather make, would they rather make $90,000 knowing everyone else is making a hundred thousand or like make 70,000 knowing everyone else is making 60,000. And it seems like such an obvious answer. It was something along those lines. Definitely wasn't that exactly, but a lot of people said they'd rather make less, but like relative to everyone else, they're making more. And it was like, what that doesn't make, because in value terms, like the amount, it's also just absurd that like salary is something that people compare also in itself, just, just on its own. But then at the same time, like people make money in other ways. And like, what if someone makes a hundred thousand, but they spend 80,000 a year versus someone who makes 80,000 and spends 40,000 a year, like that person, the second person has more money, but like they're, they have less value because they're making less money. Like that whole, we could, we could probably talk about that for a long time, but that's absurd. Depending on where you live, right? Okay. Let's say I live in, let's say I live in Austin. Let's say I live in Charlotte versus I live in San Francisco or New York or, you know, what like, you know, making $60,000 if you're in Baton Rouge is going to be a lot different than making $60,000 if you live in Manhattan. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so wild and we just get so hung up on it. And I see that. So like a lot of my videos I'll post too, is like, no one cares what you do. And I take it to an extreme. Like people always respond, like my mom cares what I do. And it's like, okay, sure. But like, that's a lot of times they also care about you to the degree that it impacts them almost like they care how you make them look because they, they are attached their identity to you as their child. But at the same time, like people really don't, if you think about like your own life and you make, say in the morning, you make to-do lists, like how often does that to-do list have anything to do with anyone else? Like it almost never does. And yet 
so like sometimes what you were saying earlier to tie that back is sometimes people comment things like, you know, I care a lot about what other people do. And sometimes I'll respond like you should probably get a hobby or something yeah. like if you're spending time throughout your day, like judging other people, caring about other people, all that you're telling anyone is that you don't have a very interesting life or you don't have a lot going on, or there's a certain, you know, it, it's like a validation thing where, where all you're doing, instead of trying to and bolster your own life. You're just trying to judge other people to make yourself feel better about like what you're currently doing. Even if you hate your life, as long as, you know, you're judging them and putting them at a slightly lower level than you feel, then you feel better instead of just worrying about your own fucking shit and like enjoying this human experience, which is pretty fucking dope, you know? Absolutely. No, I know that's, I, yeah, I think that's a really good, um, good way to, to tie that up is like, you know, if you, if you are spending most of your time sort of looking at what other people are doing, you probably don't feel very great about yourself. Like that's sort of what it comes down to. I think at least in just talking to people and kind of observing, uh, I feel like social media is a great place to watch this happen, but people that they care about, what other people think and what other people are doing um, often feel, uh, you know, unwell, like they just, they don't feel good. Um, and I am, you know, by no means outside of this, I spend so much time looking at what everyone else is doing and, and wondering, you know, what they're up to and, and trying to see like, you know, how they're doing and that, you know, engaging with that kind of action, uh, can be beneficial in some ways where you like stay up with people and you want to know what they're up to and stuff. But when it crosses over into making the comparison, right? Like it's not just out of curiosity of, you know, what they're up to and you want to know, you want to find out like, you know, what kind of job they're in, where they're living and all that stuff. But when it crosses into, Oh, what kind of job do they have compared to me? You know, how, how am I doing compared to, you know, where, where I'm living and what kind of apartment I'm in and how many you know, shoes I own compared to them, like, you know, am I, am I doing better? Am I doing worse? And then you're ascribing that positivity or negativity to it again. And you probably don't feel very good about it, no matter what, even if you are doing better, like in your head, oh, I'm doing better than they are. You probably don't feel very good about it because you're doing that. So yeah, I think, I think that's really smart. It's just, you know, what we could all do a better job of and what we should all do is just try to, you know, let that go, try to let those comparisons go, try to let that sort of natural propensity to look at other people and see, you know, what they're doing and trying to, you know, make yourself feel better about where you are in life based on where they are. Um, yeah, because, right, like you're saying, none of it matters. It, none of it matters. There's something that I always, I have found recently, and that I've been coming back to a lot, which are the five remembrances um, in Buddhist practice, which they're really basic. They're really easy to remember. You can write them, you know, like on a notepad and put them on your mirror. Um, but they are that humans, just in general, we are of the nature to grow old. You, that's what's going to happen. You're going to age. We are of the nature to have ill health you're going to get sick. You're going to be sick. That's just a fact of being a human. We are of the nature to die. You're going to die. I don't care who you are. You're going to die. And then the last, this, the last two are a little bit more nuanced, but one is that everything that you know, that you love, the people that you know are of the nature to change. 
change. So no matter what it is, they're, they're going to change it. You know, it doesn't matter who they are, what they are, they're going to change. Um, and then the last one is that, uh, the only thing that you can take with you are your actions. So no matter what it is, the, you know, the things that you accumulate, the stuff, you know, the, the relationships, any of that, really what you have, the only thing you have are, are your own actions and how that, you know, sort of reflects on who you are and, you know, what you're becoming and what you will become and how you want to make other people feel. But really what it comes down to is just choosing to do whatever it is that you do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think coming back to those things always helps give me perspective, even when I'm like having a little moment of anxiety or wondering or whatever, but just thinking about those five remembrances has been really beneficial to me. Yeah, those, those are awesome. And I think I've sort of like come across them without knowing them or really hearing about them until, until now. And I think, yeah, remembering that we're going to die. And what, what was the last one again? The last one is action, right? The only okay, thing you yeah, can yeah. do is, is your action, you know, what, no matter what it is, right. Whatever we have, whatever we do, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, the action that, that you do as a human. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the, the thought I had with that was, was the actions, it's like the actions here now, like the actions in the moment, because that is the only place. And and people get hung up when it comes to anxiety, OCD, I think, and just like this whole umbrella thing of, of wanting control. And I think a lot of times remembering that you don't have control because control is outside of the here and now. The thing that you do have is an influence and, but that is only through the present moment because control is all outcome-based. It's like controlling how things are going to turn out as opposed to the influence is what you're doing here now. So you're able to do that, but that's the extent of what you're able to do and impact. So that idea of the actions, I don't know if it's like specifically was supposed to be related to that, but I know Buddhism is a lot about, you know, the present moment, the here now. And because once, once you take an action and then it, it's, it's passed, like it's, it's now a thought or now it's an idea and anything that may happen in the future is just exists within your imagination, but it's not here now. It's not something you don't have control over anything outside of the here and now. And I think remembering that, that you just don't have control, like control because it is outcome focused is a complete illusion. If you can get that through your head then it's like the only thing you have influence over is the here and now. So then you'll be, have more of a propensity to want to be here now, because you know, that's the only thing you have impact over as opposed to thinking like, Oh, I have a little bit of control. As long as I, you know, worry about this enough, I'll have some control over the outcome. And it's like, no, you're, you're worrying here now. And that's taking away from your ability to have influence here now over that thing you may be worrying about in the future. So it's kind of a paradox too. Absolutely. Yeah. I think control as an illusion is something that is really important to remember because, you know, realistically you have, there, there's no such thing as control. You can't control anything. It's that, and if you spend your whole time trying to control things, then you have an anxiety disorder, like OCD, a lot of it is about trying to control things, right? Like trying to control, I mean, that's why they call it magical thinking, because it's like, 
you know, I, if I touch this thing or I do this, then this bad thing won't happen. The outcome, like you're talking about. Right. And so there's this, this idea that you can control whatever it is that the, the negative out, you can avoid the negative outcome. You can find, you can circumvent it. You can find your way around it. But the truth is, is that you can't because it lives in the future or it lives in the past, whatever it is that you're thinking about. The only thing that exists is, you know, whatever it is that's right in front of you in this moment. Right. Like the, you know, the chair that you're sitting on, the table that you're sitting at, like, at, you know, while we're doing this podcast, like, and then that's gone too. like every single moment that turns over is now in the past. Or if you're thinking about whatever it is, it's in the future. Um, so, right. Letting go of that, of that illusion of control, I think is really important, but super hard because we as humans want to think that we can impact things because it's how we it's how we survive for so long, right? Being able to kind of like predict outcomes and think about, you know, what is going to set me up for the best possible survival, right? Is how humans biologically develop. But there is a limit to what you can control. Like if you think that your mind can control bigger outcomes of things, try to stop your heart right now. Just, just do it. Just sit here and try to stop your heart. Kill yourself. If you cannot do that. Like you can't, your, your mind can only control so much. And what it can control is what is here right now that's going on between your ears, right? And even to that extent, like you can't really control that either. You can just observe it and sort of set intentions, right? You, like you're saying, like I'm setting the intention to, to recognize this anxiety or whatever it is. And then you know, let it kind of mosey on its way. Or like when you, if you're meditating and you're sort of letting the thoughts kind of arrive and then leave and then arrive and leave. And you're not trying to, you're not trying to control them. You're not trying to like push them away or get rid of them or do anything with them. You're just sort of sitting there. And that's an intention that you set. So that is some level of control, but yeah, like you can't, there are certain things like most things you, you cannot control. It's just, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, it's applicable to so many different types of situations in life. And it's not to downplay like the process of getting there. Like these things do take time. They don't happen overnight, although they always happen here and now, like they don't happen in the future. They happen now. And like, we are the boat, we are the rudder of the boat. We are not, you know, the, the destination, we're not this idea of what will be like, we are not tomorrow. Tomorrow doesn't exist in reality. Like what exists in reality is here now. So it's just so applicable and realizing that we don't have that, you know, external control of things. And there are, as I mentioned, there's so many processes to get to that understanding. And, and it's not to say like, Oh, just, you know, stop, thinking about it, you know, like it, it's being that observer, realizing that that that's what you are at the end of the day, you are that observing awareness, the awareness of what is here. And now like you don't, you as this observer is sure this human that I am aware of, Andrew has a past. He has things that is, that have happened to him pre in previous moments, but it's always happened now. So in the eternal now, and there are, you know, maybe I have, Andrew has fears and worries about the future that I am aware of. I'm aware when Andrew is feeling anxious and nervous, but being able to 
create that little bit of separation. And instead of labeling yourself as this human, as this, just this grouping of cells that your parents decided to name, realizing that, and more so not identifying with anything except as the awareness of what is. So if this human begins worrying about something or regretting something, you're not that which is worrying. You're not that which is regretting. You're, you're that which is aware of that worry that is happening here and now. And that has helped me a ton, just being able to create that separation. When I start feeling nervous, I'm like, I'm not nervous. I'm not nervousness. I'm aware of this feeling that Andrew is experiencing. Right. And I think an important point to that is for people like the people that listen to you and stuff. I think that's a really good practice to, you know, cultivate the observer and the, the awareness, but it's not, it is, it is, it is conscious disassociation in that you are, you know, allowing yourself the 10,000 foot view of your own life, right? You're, you're watching sort of what's happening, what you're feeling, but it's not practicing active indifference, right? It's not like, it's not separating in a way that then, you know, whatever is happening to your human doesn't matter and that the actions don't matter and that how you move through the world doesn't matter and how you make other people feel doesn't matter. Like those things are still important. And so using the observer sort of to your advantage, right? Like cultivating the awareness so that you can know when, you know, sort of when things matter in quotes, so to speak, and when they don't like, you know, the anxiety that you're feeling that awareness allows you to, you know, sort of pay attention to the anxiety and allow it and allow it to just exist. And that may help you feel less anxiety, but like, you know, when there's something that is gravely wrong, right. You, you, you're not practicing the same type of observer thing. And what it might help with is like, you know, reducing panic in a situation where it's like, if your apartment's on fire, you still need to get out of the apartment, right? Your, your body, your, your, your physical self still needs to move and to, address whatever it is, but it may help you kind of reduce the panic that you're feeling. It's like, okay, I, I see, I'm observing that I'm feeling this panic and you know, this, this fear, this anxiety, whatever it is. And just that will allow you then to sort of kind of keep it in a compartment and allow you to kind of like, you know, operate with it and around it and maybe, you know, using it to your advantage. Um, so, so yeah, that's something that I think I always come back to, right. It's just like, cultivating that level of awareness, um, and, and, and allowing it to benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a super important distinction. And someone actually asked me on a Q and a, uh, on my Instagram, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, like, what's the difference between the awareness that you talk about and disassociation. And I never really thought about it, but that's kind of the point that you brought up, I think. And I think there is a very distinct difference. And what my answer was, was it comes down to a feeling of responsibility. Like as the awareness of Andrew, I'm still responsible for Andrew. And it, and when it becomes like disassociation, it's like, oh, I'm not responsible for him, but it's like, yes, yes, you are. And, and it's, it's almost like a distinction of the feeling of being the awareness or disassociated as nothing versus being realizing that you are everything. Like you are the universe aware of itself, expressing itself in, in an infinite amount of ways. And at the end of the day, we are 
all the universe. Like we are God at the end of the day, like as people, that word should just, I think, be gotten rid of, but uh, that's for another day. We can discuss that maybe, but I think there is that distinction between disassociation and awareness being that you are still responsible for the actions taken and you dictate, although, you know, Andrew's environment may be impacting Andrew no differently than Andrew is impacting his environment. So it's like, you know, where is the line drawn? Is it drawn at the skin or is that sort of just an illusion if everything is impacting everything at once, or maybe you are the awareness of everything. So, so that ties in a little bit more of that responsibility, but I think people can definitely go down the road of disassociation, which is not the same thing as being that, that observing presence in the here and now. It's definitely not. I think exactly what you just said um, is a really good way to think about it in that when you use the word disassociation, that conjures up images of disconnecting, right? You are separating yourself. Whereas I think what we're talking about is actually diving into the thing which connects us all, right? The, the overarching energetic field, you know, sort of universal experience, the way that all of our atoms vibrate together in the same way, like it's actually diving into that and recognizing that you're part of this network of humans of life that exists in the universe that allows you to observe your little manifestation doing its thing, but feeling much more like you're a part of this greater thing, whatever it is, you know, whatever you want to call it, whether you call it God, or you, whether you call it the universe, but feeling like you're a part of this greater network, that's the difference is that you're achieving somewhat of a similar view with disassociation. You're also kind of leaving your physical form behind, but you aren't connecting to something greater. Whereas with this other thing that we're talking about, you are, you're not leaving your physical form behind, but you are sort of floating above it, connecting to everything, right? Connecting to the universe. And it allows you, you know, to have that perspective. Um, There's a really great uh, quote, it's Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I think it's when he's on Hot Ones. And he's, he has this like thing that he's like, it's like my favorite thing that blows my mind or whatever. And I don't, okay, I don't remember specifically, I'm probably going to butcher this. But what he says is like, you know, the, the four most prevalent elements in the universe, you know, everywhere you go are, it's like hydrogen, nitrogen, carbon, and oxygen, maybe. Um, we'll go with those. But he's like, those are the four most prevalent, you know, sort of things, elements in the universe. And he's like, and do you know what the four most prevalent elements in humans are? hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, right? And it, he, his point is that you are the universe, right? Like everything that you're made up of is everything that the universe is made up of on, on an atomic level, right? Like just down to your very, very, the smallest bits of who you are. And so it should give you a greater sense that like you are at once insignificant because you are just a handful of sand on a giant beach but in that same way you are the giant beach right like you are 
all of that which you see and is around you and what the universe is made of. And so, right, you're at once insignificant and incredibly significant. So I think that's what we're sort of talking about with that. It's not disassociation, but it's either, it's, it might actually be called association, right? You're connecting to this thing that's just, it's just bigger than yourself. Big, yourself being, you know, your, your human sort of physical form that goes to work and, and eats waffles. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I love that. And it's like the idea that you are the entire ocean in the drop mm-hmm. and, and realizing that is, is so important. And it, it's, it does make you feel less alone. Like you're not alone. You are what is, and you're not And this idea that you are just this little human is only a label. It's a illusion of the ego. And it's something that's been built up and made very concrete because, you know, we have a name and people tell us this is who we are, but really it, at the end of the day, it is just an illusion. And if you are impacting your environment, no differently than your environment is impacting you. Like, where is the line drawn? Is that line at the skin or is that, I've said this before, but could that just be an illusion? Like, have you ever wondered that maybe there is more to all of this absolutely no i I think that's really smart um and and a question you know that i think everyone would benefit from asking themselves so you know what do they what do they feel about that how do they observe that in their day-to-day life you know what is that how does that manifest itself and i think that's why i mean which you sort of touched on like you know people have different faiths and it's because you know you're ascribing whatever that feeling is, whatever that, you know, that sort of that sense of the being greater than yourself, being connected to something, whatever it is, like a, a lot of, you know, what that's born out of is, or what religion is born out of is that sort of that's that sense. Um, and, you know, it's also born out of, you know, fear of death and fear of, you know, all these other things and, you know, trying to create meaning, you know, in life and in, you know, just in the universe itself. Um, but I do think that that's a big part of why religion exists. And, uh, you know, we said we might talk about that another time. We can dive into it if you want to, but, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think that's true. Yeah. I think, I think religion, I have my qualms with religion and I grew up probably, you know, when we were in college, I, I would join our prayer circles on our team that we would have. And yeah, since I then, I yeah. I, uh, I'm very, very far from that now. And it started to be just because I grew up Catholic and, right. and, uh, I, I just started questioning more and more things to the point that I was like more than 50% of the things that Catholicism teaches. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. So then I was like sub 50%, but still labeling myself saying that I was Catholic, whatever. And then I was like, why do I have to? And, and the last thing was, I was just holding on to the idea of just in case. And I talk about this a lot, like just in case, you know, they're right. I don't want to burn in hell. And then the more I, yeah, the more I realized just how much of a story and how rooted in fear it all was and how many people around me were thinking the same thing. Like, yeah, like most of it doesn't make any sense at all, but you know, just in case, and, and there's this responsibility or lack of responsibility, I think that you're able to take when you have a very strong faith that you're putting in all these things outside of you, like, you know, God or or Jesus or, or whatever that you're 
placing this responsibility in and it allows you to not have to take responsibility for as many things that you're feeling. But if you don't have all of these beliefs that you ascribe to, like the responsibility falls on yourself. And a lot of people don't want to do that and they don't want to realize that fully, I think. No, I think so too. I, I, yeah, I, I know like I see religion, um, having been somebody that that didn't grow up religious, like I wasn't raised Catholic. I wasn't raised in any denomination. We went to like a couple of Unitarian churches when I was really young. Um, we like went to a Unitarian universalist church, um, for a little bit. And we actually, we would do church at home. Like this is something like my dad would set up. We would have like, we'd like light some candles and he would have like an opening ceremony. And he is somebody that was raised Catholic. And then as he, as he got older, he started exploring like pagan religions. He got, he got really into sort of like native American traditions and ceremonies and sort of religious or faith-based beliefs. Um, and started to incorporate that in kind of his day-to-day life and in sort of with this like little home church that we would do. And it was mostly just talking about, you know, what you were grateful for and, and kind of like taking a moment to sort of like censor yourself and to, you know, connect, you know, in this kind of intimate way. Um, but so a lot of my like religious, if you would say like beliefs um, or beliefs about religion, sort of, you know, they're, they're not tied to any denomination or any kind of like sect or anything like that. Um, but I've always found it interesting to talk to groups of people that are from different backgrounds, from different religions to get a sense of, you know, what, it, why, why they gravitate towards these things. And I think that in most cases around the world, most religions have a lot of the same core values. Like it's a lot of the same stuff. It's a lot of the same, like, you know, compassion, empathy, doing the, the right thing, whatever the right thing is in quotes, but like, you know, trying to act in a way that is sort of beneficial to your fellow human that is in a healthy way, you know, with regards to yourself. It's about, you know, taking responsibility, you know, there's like kind of an element of honor. Um, there, there's a lot of like those things that are wrapped up in all of this other stuff, right? Like, you know, at, when you t- to talk about like Jesus's teachings, you know, really it's love your neighbor and it's, you know, practicing unconditional love. And then there's a lot of other things that I think, you know, people get sort of wrapped up in and like, you know, literal wars are fought over those other things that, you know, the, the kind of the caveats and the nuances and the, the deeper descriptions of all these other things. Um, and that's where, which it sounds like you too, that's where I sort of fall apart when it comes to like ascribing to any one religion. It's like, I don't, you know, those things, those additional, whatever they are, like, gatekeepers rules requirements those are the things that man-made stories right right exactly are man-made and it makes sense like you know 2000 years ago the easiest way to organize a large group of people was religion like you know in order to get a lot of people to do something you had to get them something to attach to and religion was that thing for a really long time so it makes sense that it has existed and will continue to exist for a long time because it's a really easy way to 
influence people's thoughts and actions. And, you know, that's, that is just, you know, like a fact. So like, it's not, it's not whether or not you believe in religion or not, but like, that is how large bodies of people have organized for thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way to allow people to feel secure in insecure times. Like the world used to be a much, much scarier place and people wanted to feel secure in it in some degree. And so they had questions about, you know, what happens when we die and they found religions gave them answers to the unanswerable questions. And like, that's, that's where some of my qualms, I mean, I have a lot, but um, the idea that, you know, they have answers to all of these things, like what happens when we die? I don't know, but I don't think like, I don't, I think we just are life. Like life just is, and we are it. We are the manifestation of life, but outside of that, like thinking that I like Andrew lives forever in some magical place, like doesn't make any sense to me, but people don't like the idea of death. So they turn to religion and they're like, oh, you actually, you know, live in paradise forever. Or, you know, if you don't follow us, you're going to burn in hell forever. So like, make sure you follow us. So they, they're sort of rooted in fear in that way, but then it gives people this answer. As long as they follow all of these rules that we have made up, you will, you know, the thing that you're most afraid of being dying, like you won't die necessarily. And you're going to go to an even better place as long as you follow us. And it's like, there's so many things like that, that are, that are very questionable. And, and instead of, you know, continuing to question things like what happens when we die or, you know, what, what are we doing here? All of these things, they just settle on an answer and it's like, all right, that's it. You know, keep, keep moving on with our lives. Like we know, we know it's a fact, like the Bible says so. And yeah, it's just, ah, I don't know. I wish because it's, you know, the alternative is terrifying, right? That none of this matters, that you're insignificant, that you will die and you will cease to exist. That's for a human. That is the, the fear, right? Not, not just a fear. That is the fear. Like that is what drives most of human action is avoiding death. I mean, and rightfully so, right? Biologically, we have cultivated that mindset because it allowed us to survive. Like to be afraid of death as the ultimate fear and to be afraid of things not mattering is what, you know, resulted in the industrial revolution, like modern medicine, like literally every advancement you can possibly think of are born out of those fears that, you know, maybe this, maybe none of this matters. Maybe all of this is just some bullshit, like, you know, like any of that. So it it would make sense that when, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of other stuff, when someone was standing there being like, listen, I had the answers for you. You don't have to be afraid. Like you can avoid that fear for the rest of your life. And personally, like, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Like, because if it really doesn't matter, it doesn't matter whether or not you believe that that's going to happen. And if that helps you feel less fear, great, do your thing. Like that, I, I don't really have a problem with if it's like, you know, okay, this actually allowed me to not have anxiety for the entirety of my human existence. And once that existence is over, like whether or not I'm right or wrong, doesn't really matter. 
while I was here, I felt less fear. That's great. When it goes beyond that to then forcing other people to try to do what you do or trying to like, you know, kill people maybe over it. I don't know. That, that's not, that's not chill. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants that. Like that's, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is like, I think people forget that that was the norm you know, a few hundred years ago was like, if people questioned these things, like they did get killed. And isn't that a little bit alarming that people who questioned this belief system got killed? And it's like, why do you think that is? Because the people who are doing the killing knew that it wasn't correct, but they wanted to keep people in fear. And so they killed off anyone who started questioning it. I don't know, maybe, but it is very interesting. And I think I do have some thoughts when it comes to beliefs and, you know, this idea of, of getting an answer for something that isn't necessarily answerable. I think it gives people some, some glimpse of control. And I think that can trickle in negative way into other parts of your life because you, you think that, oh, I have some control in this, or I know this to be sure. So you think there are other parts of your life that you can be sure about it. If you, you know, do things like worry enough, or it, it just kind of like having this belief can trickle into, you know, situations where you lose control. And all of a sudden you're like, oh fuck, like I, I need that control that I have with the, you know, this part of my life. So if you realize that it never existed anywhere to begin with, and you question all of those things all the time, I think it can have a positive impact on the other side, because there will be other situations. Like if you're anxious about death, odds are you're anxious about a lot of, a lot of, at least a couple other things in life, but there aren't those super well-packaged button up answers in other situations necessarily. So if you're questioning it there, you can begin to build and, and go through life having what I call true faith, which is faith in yourself instead of something outside of yourself. So then when those situations arise, you're like, I don't have to put my faith in Jesus or God, because, you know, as much as you think they're always, you know, going to be there invisible person by your side, like there's times that they might not be. And if, if you have that faith in yourself that you've been able to build up and you trust in yourself, then no matter how out of control things get, you will be able to handle it and you'll land on your two feet like you have so many times before. Right. Uh, and maybe you won't is the other thing. Maybe you won't land on your feet. Maybe you won't be able to handle it. And that's also okay. I think that's something yeah. that I really am grateful to sort of having gone through exposure therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy, which has taught me is that like, it's okay for it not to be okay. Like, you know, saying that, okay, it's going to be all right in the end, or you're going to figure it out. That might not be the most beneficial thing for you because it's probably not true. Like it might not get better. You might not figure it out. It might not go the way in the end that you want it to go. Like it might not be the Hollywood fairy tale that you have envisioned in your mind. And that's also okay. Like, you know, this pain in your foot, it might never go away. And that's fine. Like, that's okay. It's the same thing. Like the universe, when you observe it, if you've ever watched like planet earth, like an acorn grows into an oak tree and it's just going to do it. But also like a polar bear is going to eat a seal pup. And that like all of those things are happening 
And it's not good or bad. And it's not going to change depending on whatever it is. Like it, that is just the fact of life is just that things happen, things exist and they will continue to happen and they will continue to change, like no matter what it is. So even if it's like you are sort of, you're hoping and you're wishing that something was different or you're, you're attached to this desire that like, you know, I, I have like a headache and I want it to go away. It might not like, there's no, there's no way for you to like, yeah, you can like take Tylenol, you can take actions to like change it. Right. And of course you can do those things, but just coming from the mindset of like, it's okay that it's not okay. I think helps with a lot of that. It helps with like, you know, kind of whether or not you are afraid of little thing, you know, here and there, or you're afraid of the bigger stuff, you're afraid of life changes and you're afraid of death and all of those things. Like just being okay with it, not being okay, I think is a really good starting place. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And it's, I think it's not about getting what you want. It's about not wanting. And that manifests in so many different ways, whether it's, you know, material things or feelings or emotions realize I think it's more so just about getting rid of all the fucking labels. Like we have labeled so many of these things, like things that we've talked about today, like OCD anxiety, obviously if it's having a significant impact on your life, like make, you know, go to therapy, do things to work on that if that's what you want to do, but you don't have to judge yourself along the way. Also, you don't have to label it as bad. It can just be a thing that you deal with or any sort of feeling like we so often when it comes to like, in my experience, feelings of nervousness and fear and anxiety inside of me, I always thought of them as bad as something I need to get rid of. And it wasn't that I ever have gotten rid of them. I just realized that it's okay to feel them. And I no longer label them as this bad thing. And I think there's so many things in life and getting rid of, as I said before, it's not about getting what you want. It's about not wanting. I think that is, if there is a key to happiness, I think it's just getting rid of the, the wants and not getting rid of them, like forcing them to go away. It's just about realizing that it's okay to not get what you want. So at the end of the day, even if it's not okay in the way that you label it, if you stop getting rid of labels, it's okay because it's okay, whether or not, you know, however it turns out. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, and again, that is a core of Buddhist teaching is that, you know, desire is the source of suffering and the human existence is suffering, right? They call it the, they call it the cycle of Paticca Samuppada, but it is this cycle of desire leads to suffering, which leads to desire, which leads to suffering. And it's this cycle that you're in. And the only way to remove yourself from that cycle is to cease to desire, right? To no longer wish that things were different. Like you're saying, the wants, right? Whether or not it's like, I want to raise, or it's like, I want to not be anxious. They're all desires, right? Like I desire to have a bigger house, or I desire to stop worrying about my kids or whatever it is. If you can get rid of those desires, And it's not to, you know, you can't forcibly get rid of them, right? It's to be more aware of them. And that allows them to sort of like dissipate in a way. But to remove yourself from the desire removes the the suffering, so to speak. And that's, that is 
quite literally the basis of the Buddhist practice with like the eightfold path and all of that stuff. It's a, it's a essentially a course, you know, a practice to do that, to remove yourself from this cycle, to get rid of the desires so that you're sort of removing yourself from suffering and the end result what you know what sort of a you know a buddhist practitioner would say is nirvana right you reach this state of sort of like ethereal light that just exists because you no longer desire and you're no longer suffering because as a human like suffering is just what we do like we're really good at it we're really fucking good at suffering like that's what we do and it's why people ascribe like you know value to it right it's why they complain because if you're suffering you're human right? You're here and you're having a human experience. So understanding that that is what the experience is going to be. You're going to suffer. There's going to be lots of suffering and approaching it from maybe if I notice when I'm desiring things, because even when it doesn't feel like you're desiring stuff, you are like, even when it's like, no, this is coming from a place of like, oh, like, you know, my friends are, you know, my friends are busy and there's whatever, like, it's, oh, you want to hang out with them. Or like my, my uncle's being mean to me. And it's like, well, you want him to love you or like, oh my, you know, whatever. I didn't get this thing or whatever. It's always, there is a desire that's at the core of it. So just noticing as those come up every single day, like in little things, oh, my tea was too hot. Oh, I wish it was colder. Like there are those little desires and noticing when that stuff happens and then just allowing it, right? Like not trying to like get rid of the desire and not trying, but just you know, recognizing it, I think that is where we can start to kind of assuage that suffering and start to be more aware of it. And then, you know, feel better kind of in general down the road. Yeah. Yeah. It's like desiring things to be different than they are right Mm -hmm. now. It's like, that's what it comes down to, whether it's a feeling that you have inside of you, whether it's the way that you're living. And it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, make changes, but I think there's a level of acceptance that needs to be made initially in order to even begin making changes. Like if you're in a shitty situation in life and you're just, you know, not accepting this and resisting the idea that you're even in a shitty situation, you keep saying like, Oh, it's not that shitty, whatever. Like in order to change it, you need to accept that you're in a shitty situation and then you can make steps to change it. And there's a, when it comes to desire and like not desiring. There's an Alan Watts quote that goes, are you familiar with Alan Watts? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's the fucking goat. I love that man. I wish he was still alive. Yeah, there's like those like lo-fi beat playlists on YouTube. It's like, they'll put Alan Watts like seminars and speeches. Over <laughs> yeah. Just throw that on when you're studying or doing or whatever. It's classic. Yeah. The, the remixes are so, so funny. There's one, I forget who made it, but it's called overthinker. And I actually like listen to that fairly regularly. I can send it to you after this, but he, when he, when he talks about desire, um, he says like, you know, stop desiring to the degree that you can stop desiring without desiring to stop desiring. It's something like that. So it's like, it's when you get to a point, it's like, there's going to be certain desires that you have and, and minimize them to the point that you're not desiring to stop desiring, but it's more like what you were saying with just being observe, like observing it and being aware of when they come up. And that's, I think that's so key. If, if people have like a take-home practice from this episode, it's like, just become aware of those situations where you catch yourself 
wanting to not feel the way that you do or wanting things to be different than they are in this moment, not necessarily in the broader situation, but here and now, if you're desiring for things to be different, that is where the suffering is stemming from. So the more often you can catch that, it's not to like force it to go away, but just becoming aware of it, that observing presence, that awareness will allow it to become quieter and quieter. And once you catch it, maybe you start by catching it once a week, and then you're able to move to, you know, you, you get a little better, you're catching it once a day. And then all of a sudden you're catching it more and more. And it kind of becomes this exponential thing until you catch it almost immediately. And it's not that it doesn't come up, it's still going to come up, but as long as you catch it, then it won't last very long. And part of, you know, being human is feeling all of the emotions that you can possibly feel like that is part of the human experience, but it doesn't mean that it has to dictate how you act. Like you get angry, you can be aware that you have this feeling of anger. It doesn't mean that you are anger or you are an angry person, but you are experiencing it. And there's nothing wrong with experiencing that. But if you're able to catch it in that moment, you don't identify with it. You don't, you know, take that extra action and punch that person in the face, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's a nail on the head. Absolutely. I think, right. The, the awareness of it, um, there's, I forget who, I was listening to this like talk. Um, he's a monk. I forget what his name is. That's my bad. I'll have to, you can put it in the notes at the bottom of the video. I'll, I'll send you the link, but he talks about um, when he was first learning how to meditate. And it was like, I want the, I, you know, people told me that meditation was going to help me with my anxiety or with my pain or whatever. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to meditate because it's going to help get rid of these things and I'm going to do it and I'm going to meditate and they're going to go away and I'm going to meditate and they're going to go away. And it, obviously he didn't feel better. He didn't get better. Nothing, nothing got better. He was just sitting frustrated. And it's because he was so focused on the desire for the meditation to get rid of the thing. And it's, it's not about that. It's just about what you're saying, being aware of whatever it is that is causing you anxiety, pain, discomfort, frustration, anger, whatever that is, just, just being aware of it, like recognizing that it's there. And then being okay with it. Like, okay. And, and even if you're not okay with it, that is okay too. Like, that's the point. The point is this, you just have to allow it to exist. Like you just sit there and allow it to exist and hang out with it. Like mosey on up to the tiger that's in the bush, you know, cause that's something like the anxiety analogy for anxiety is like, you know, you're in the jungle and there's a tiger behind those bushes. You can't see the tiger. So you start running, right? You're like, you're running away from this tiger that you haven't seen yet, you just think that it's behind the bushes. And the opposite is just go walk behind the bushes. And if there's a tiger there, you sit down with it and you, you know, hang out with it. And then your buddies and then your Calvin and Hobbes. And odds are there isn't a tiger back there and you feel okay too. But that's the whole, the whole practice is just to hang out. It's like be with whatever that fear, that anger, whatever it is, just allow it to be. Yeah. And if you start judging yourself, don't judge the fact that you're judging yourself. And it, it just but, comes back to, you know, being aware without all of those labels on top of it, realizing that whatever you're feeling in that moment is okay because you're feeling it. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing you ever have to change about the way that you're feeling. And the more often you can, re it's more about being okay with all any and all feelings without the use of labels. Cause they're not 
necessary. They really aren't, in my opinion, like at the end of the day. And so when you start feeling any of these feelings that we've discussed, like you don't have to label them as bad. It's okay to feel them. And you are whole and complete exactly as you are right now. Totally. No, I think that's, I think that's a really good takeaway. Um, and I know, you know, we've talked a lot at this point, um, but I want to make sure if you have any questions that you, you know, you can ask me whatever it is that, that you want to ask, whether or not it's about OCD stuff or just about anything else in general, I want to make sure that I, that I answer whatever it is that you've got. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think we actually covered a lot and I'm realizing how long we've been talking, which yeah, has been kind of a while. Time. And I, I set on my calendar at work, just a DNS on, on this timing. <laughs> so I should pro and I know you have to get back to work and I realized my boss like sent me a few messages, so I should probably get back to that considering. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, but no, this was an awesome conversation, Jenna, really appreciate you coming on and we should like have another pretty soon. I'm going to start just like having people on to have conversations like this, just about things with their experience. And I think you have a very awesome perspective when it comes to these things that is different than my perspective as all of our perspectives are always. So I think people definitely find benefit from hearing your perspective, but do you have, I know you're not like posting a ton on social media necessarily, but do you have places that people can find you or, or follow you or even just your Instagram account? Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not very active with, yeah, posting content or anything like that, but, uh, you know, my personal Instagram is open, you know, if anybody wants to, if anybody wants to, you know, shoot me a DM and, you know, wants to talk about anxiety stuff, OCD, whatever, just wants to, you know, just wants to have a combo. Uh, yeah, my personal Instagram is just, it's J O underscore N U H Jonah. Um, so you can find me there. Um, or, you know, I have another, I have like a, a photography Instagram that people can find me at. It's Jonah, J O N A H dot C A M. Um, Jonah Cam, you can find me there too. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, hit me up on Instagram that works. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know the more we kind of talk about this stuff, maybe I'll start a little something. Um, if people want to, you know, hear, hear from me about, you know, my experience that I'm, I'm happy to do that too. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, just having me on to, to chat. Cause I, I think, like I said, what you're doing is really important. It's really needed. Um, you know, exposing people to these kinds of concepts of mindfulness and, you know, these teachings, um, you know, in a way that's really accessible and it's really, you know, sort of like relatable. Um, so no, I, you know, thank you for doing what you do. It's great. Um, and yeah, I would love to come back on, but, you know, be happy to, to hop back on and talk more about life and whatever else. Yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate that. And yeah, I think, I think you could crush the content game. I don't think it's too late to get on TikTok, you know, <laughs> so just start well, getting some, yeah, maybe that's the, maybe that's the next step. We'll start a little, uh, <laughs> yeah. a little TikTok. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sounds good, man. Um, I will talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in everyone. Uh, be sure to subscribe and like and follow and all that stuff. I always forget to say that. So like, if you've gotten to this point, like you should definitely do all of those things. So thank you and everyone have a great day. Peace. Uh, uh.